0: everyone. So, thank you for tuning in to the podcast for healing broken hearts. So, I have been on a bit of a hiatus and it has been because I have been studying and finishing grad school, and I finally graduated in May. Kind of took a break in June and now kind of getting back into the groove of things now that we're in July. So, I had the amazing pleasure of interviewing Nicole and this is our interview so stay tuned take a listen let me know what you think I'm super excited for you guys to hear this interview and I'm excited to give you some updates and some future interviews to come thanks so much for listening guys
1: I'm living I'm alive so um so yeah so the way that I started this like with James it was just super freestyle because I went to school with James so I've known him for a while and um it's pretty much just like us having a conversation and and you talking about whatever you know you feel comfortable talking about like I'll end up editing everything and sending it to you to make sure you like everything before I post it up. That's, that's like a big thing for me. And, um, yeah. And, what was that? I feel very respectful of you. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I just know, like, it's so my, one of my friends and I were watching a documentary on El Chapo and, um, it just made me realize how, like, People can have the best of intentions to like share stories, but it can get completely misconstrued and completely like manipulated and turned around. And I'm not, I'm not about that. Like, I want to make sure that we can get as close as we can to people understanding the story and, you know.
2: Well, you know what the reality is, honestly? Yeah. Is it, how do you pronounce it? Is it Raisa? Raisa. Yeah. Raisa. Yeah, yeah. I probably still don't mess it up. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm just sad. But, no, no, it's okay. nowadays, but everyone has perspectives. And like, I always like related it to the fact that not everyone likes chocolate. Like, who doesn't like chocolate? But there's people out there that don't like chocolate. Like, you can tell your best story and yeah. someone's still going to have an issue with it. So like,
3: you.
2: you speak your truth and the people that are going to get healing from it will get healing from it. And then someone's going to have an issue. And you know what? Like, that's what I live.
3: Yeah. Yeah. For
1: sure. For sure. That's definitely something I'm I'm like, because like from my story, like I've, I always lived like trying to want to please everyone. So I'm always like, oh, I want to make sure they're okay. And they're okay. And like, you're right. It's like, after a while you can, you got to do you and if they get it cool. And if they don't, then you hit a wall after a while. Yeah, definitely. So then, to start, like, how? Maybe we can start with like how you heard about the project. What inspired you about it that you could kind of relate to? Because you heard James' interview, right? I,
2: I heard most of it, not all of it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Honestly, it popped up on my Instagram through James, and it's funny because like me and James don't really know each other. Honestly, it just it popped up, and I was all about it because like I've literally been working on like trying to find a way do exactly what you're doing like it's so inspiring because like I've like I go to school to be a therapist essentially like I'm in the process of getting my master's for marriage feeling therapy and like this is my path and this is my like my life's purpose I feel like it gives me a reason to live to like help people and like tell stories or like you know tell our life stories yeah. and um, I'm actually in the process of trying to create a YouTube channel with one of my friends where we just talk about mental health issues like be like i can be in bed one day and just be like yo I'm, I'm coming from my bedside right now let's suck," and i haven't showered in four days so someone that tunes in is like yes like you're, i'm not alone
3: yeah you yeah know,
2: but not showering in five days like you feel like ridiculous but, like someone else out there is doing that like because yeah. it's hard yeah so
3: i
1: totally agree And that's like, and that's something that I noticed too, like how you were saying that desire of wanting to fill a void. And for me too, with like my story, I spent a lot of time using relation, not using relationships, but just involving myself in all these relationships to fill this void. And, and I feel like so far what I've noticed from the people that I've spoken to that's consistent is, um, that you look to fill that void and you feel like no one else understands what you're going through, that that you're the only person who like, you know, like you're sharing with you. Like I did the same thing. Like I would go days without taking a shower because I just didn't care in the moment. It wasn't important to me. And then I would beat myself up because I'm like, man, I'm the only one that's doing this. But the reality is it's not true. But our culture doesn't really... Um, encourage people to share these things it's all like keeping it a secret don't share it with anyone which creates like even more isolation so that's my goal to kind of break yeah so so yeah tell me about you because so for anyone who's listening i've never met you ever, which is so awesome, because you're the first person I've interviewed who I don't personally know, which is super cool, and I'm super excited about.
2: <laughs> so awesome. And, I, feel, I feel very honored. Yeah. Thank you so
1: much for taking the time. And um, so tell me about yourself, Nicole, right?
2: Yeah. I guess it's will start off with like the basics, the like James did. Um, so my name is Nicole Marie Wallace. I was born and raised in East Hartford, Connecticut. My birthday is May 21st, 1991, so I'm currently 27 years old. Um, I have two brothers. I have an older brother that's four years older than me, and then a younger brother who's three and a half years younger than me. And then I have two parents that are still together after, like, I think they're on 30, years of marriage. Yeah. And I have, like, hands down the most amazing parents.
3: Like,
2: yeah. I've never met um, parents that are better. They did the best that they could, and that's where some of, like, I guess, the depression or disappointment comes from is like why I feel like why am I fucked up. Because yeah. they did everything right, like technically it feels like. Mm-hmm. But I'm still you know what I mean, like everything still hurts. Mm-hmm. Um so uh to give like a brief synopsis I guess like I was a very like confident child growing up. Um in preschool apparently my mom told me I went up to the teacher and told the teacher that I was a teacher. I was like, I'm the teacher different today. Like, I just was very confident. And my parents never had to, like, worry about me being okay in, like, settings with other people. Whereas, like, my older brother, there was more of a concern because he was way more, like, reserved. Mm-hmm. And um, not, not sure of himself. Yeah. And then, honestly, like, one of the questions he was send me was, like, um, what are, like, big moments in your life? But, honestly, what happened was 9-11 happened and then everything did. Yeah. And I've never been the same person. Yeah. Um, everything down to I started having panic attacks on the bus coming home because I was 11 years old when it all happened. And the bus comes over like a hill coming down to my house. And I would like worry. I'd like um, ruminate over this like thought of I'm not going to see their cars. I'm not going to see my parents' cars. I'm not going to see them. And if I don't see them, that means they're dead. Yeah. And like it would literally throw me into like a panic and I couldn't go to sleepovers anymore because I would like cry my sleepovers. And I thought at night because I lived on the um in the attic like he had transformed the attic or um into a room for me and my brother. Um, I thought that the house was going to catch on fire. So I was convinced that it was catching on fire and then my parents would die and I would be like I would be abandoned. And this is where if I look back, that's where all the BPD started. Like it was starting to like brew. Because the abandonment issues were there for no reason. Yeah, yeah. So
1: so when you mentioned about September 11th, did you have like any friends or family there or just being exposed to the whole, the unfortunate tragedy?
2: I think what it came down to, like I really looked it over because like this also makes me upset. Because, like, I didn't lose anyone. because I beat myself up over, why are you so fucked up over it? Yeah. But like what I think it comes down to is we didn't process it as a nation, we didn't process it as a family, Mm -hmm. like I came home and this is no, like discredit to my parents, it's just, we didn't talk about it, like my feelings weren't validated, Mm -hmm. like I was made to think that what I felt was wrong, um, was because we didn't discuss it, so then for me it was like, oh, like I must be, I must be crazy, like this doesn't mean anything, and then I also think, I definitely believe in people being empaths. And this totally relates to having borderline personality disorder, having extreme emotions and like feeling, feeling like the radiation from everyone else. I think it just absorb everyone's like pain. I've always done that. I've always channeled everyone else's mm-hmm. pain.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it just, I think I felt it all as like a young child. And it was just like this transformation of a time where like this realization of people die. I'm not like my innocence is gone. And um, I'm not being heard. Like I don't have a voice, and my voice doesn't matter. So as that
1: continued to kind of go, because I, I totally agree that one of the biggest issues that our country has is feeling like you don't matter, feeling like your voice is is insignificant. Exactly, exactly. And um, so when you started thinking that your voice didn't matter, what did that turn into? So did that start with? Um, because you had mentioned you had struggled with was it bulimia or anorexia I definitely I've covered all of them yeah so so would that tie into that beginning in your life and
2: yeah, yeah, I think that it's kind of like the perfect storm if you think about it mm-hmm. it's not like a perfect equation with like as someone that struggles with something at least myself, I'm a very like it's funny it's like the weirdest. I can't understand myself. Like I'm artistic, but I'm not. Like I grew up a dancer. I am like, like a performing arts way like can do all that. But I'm more so like a mathematical brain. So for me, it's hard because I'm like, okay, one plus one equals two. So like X plus Y equals Z. So like, what are the parts that equal Y? I'm fucked up. Like I don't, but the problem is that it's just like, you can't, there's too many variables. So the way I try to understand it is just like 9-11 happened. As a child, I was exposed to. You know, historical, like, all these things, like, if you go to school to get therapists, it's all, like, you know, playing part, like, historical events. And then how people, like, coped with it or helped you cope with it or didn't help you cope with it. And then your biological makeup. And then I was also, I started um, cheerleading. Mm-hmm. And so what it comes down to is, like, a lot of addictions, which I consider an eating disorder addiction, and people can argue with me on this. I think most things are addictions, any form of them. I think most coping mechanisms are just an obsession with something. Mm-hmm. And so with being disordered, it's an obsession with calories, an obsession with the scale, an obsession of my body. Yeah, yeah. And so I just funneled it because it was a way to control. Everything in me didn't make sense anymore. So like I channeled it because I, gave, I was given this outlet to be a cheerleader and I had control over being the flyer. And the flyer meant like perfection. Mm-hmm. And you were like the person that was thrown in the air. Yeah. yeah. So I had something to focus on that took off from all the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then it just spiraled.
1: Yeah, and so where from then? Where did it go? Like, where did you have a moment where you had mentioned spiral that you hit like a like a rock bottom moment or? um...
2: I honestly debate if I've hit I hit rock bottom. I've traded one addiction for another, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a diagnosis of anorexia when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. I. I've been in therapy basically, I don't know, since I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen over seven to eight therapists at this point, which is traditional people with DPD because we can't, I've never actually had like an official ending to therapy with a therapist, mm-hmm. which is funny because I didn't realize that that's very like characteristic of people with DPD. We don't deal with like endings. Mm-hmm. We just like, leave. We just cut it off. Yeah. Um, we don't want to acknowledge like the pain of like ending something. We just turn away and we want to be the first like beating to the punch. Um, <laughs> Because then we have control. Yeah, yeah. And so, the anorexia, I was accepted to Georgetown, I moved to D.C., and when I got there, I was over-exercising to the point where I was exercising on an elliptical three and a half hours a day Mm -hmm. with about three to five layers of clothing on. Mm -hmm. So, I was like, you know, I was burning at least 4,000 calories. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then it started, I started binging because I I had starved myself for so long that like my body was the prize of all this, and I was like 80 pounds maybe. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to the doctor, and they're like, you're muscles. are just, like, eating themselves. Um, and you're dying. And it didn't matter to me. Like, that wasn't about them, because I was, like, in such control. Like, it was so satisfying to be like, "I now I can actually eat, and I can binge. I was eating, like, 6000 calories in a sitting. So then I wasn't living. I didn't have the college experience. I was in the gym all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that happened, and then it – um. Eventually depression set in, which we can go into in a little bit like why the pressure set in, but I had to move back home for financial reasons and it turned into just thing, mm-hmm. And I thought that I wasn't going back to act
3: hard anymore for all the way while on. And worked, that was the worst the I really started.
1: Yeah. So really quick, I think there's an issue. Can you still hear me pretty good? Yeah, because with your mic, for some reason, it's like starting to sound a little gargly. But I don't, okay.
3: I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, oh, there we go.
1: I don't know. All right. We'll see how it goes. Um, drink break. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for some reason it's like it'll start going and then it it just sounds like it's breaking up like um like staticky. Yeah. Okay, but it sounds good now. All right. And so so my question, I have a question because so I worked in the mental health field, um, and how do you feel about diagnosis? Because you had mentioned, you know, when you were younger you were diagnosed with um bulimia, anorexia, and then you were diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And so Having exposure to the mental health field, like how, how do you feel about just the just the, the whole labeling or diagnosis? Um, and ha, and how did that affect you when you were diagnosed?
2: It's definitely double edged sword. It's funny that you say that, also awesome. by the end, I was diagnosed. They have this yeah. they have the diagnosis called EDNOS. It's called eating disorder not otherwise specified.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's where you cover all the traits and they just don't know where to put you. Yeah. Like, I had tried laxatives. I had tried diet pills. I was bulimic in the sense that I was purging by means of exercise. So that's technically now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: um, And I covered in our Like I was doing it all.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Like, really put you in this side category. Yeah. And so... It's funny because we talk about it. I go to Central Connecticut State University, mm. and some um, teachers, like, harp on not feeding into diagnosis because it's, like, it doesn't matter about the diagnosis. Like, you're just addressing, like, a whole other conversation, but their approach to therapy is, like, addressing your part and, like, not having them polarized polarize and, like, bringing out, like, what's going on, you know, deep within. And it doesn't have to do with a label. But I find, like, comfort in it. Like, I don't think it's right or wrong. Yeah. There's no, like, I was talking to a friend that's also, like, I met her in um, treatment. Uh, we both have, like, tried to, um, we both were suicidal and ended up in treatment together. Mm-hmm. And she ends up struggling with eating disorders, so she reached out to me. And then come to find out she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Probably. There's so many misdiagnoses. There's so much criteria. Yeah. That, like, but, like, so there's borderline personality disorder. And under borderline personality disorder is all these symptoms. which includes, but are not limited to an eating disorder, cutting, suicide, sex addiction, gambling, like you name it, under borderline. So it's like, you can have one and not the other. Like, So I think there's a beauty in it because you don't feel alone anymore when you have a label, you can understand it and put it in a box and there's that control issue again, which I want to write a whole thesis on about, like, we all want control. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because he was then told by a different doctor, you're not borderline. That's like, what the fuck? Where'd my identity go? Exactly.
1: Like, exactly. And and so that's my biggest issue. So I um I technically right would have been diagnosed depressed, anxiety, but I never went through like I kind of somehow was just missed, you know, along the way. Like I kind of just said the right things where no one ever took the time to diagnose me or to sit down and say, this is what's going on. And so, um, what was that?
2: I said, uh, not you in particular, but like as people, like we can just manipulate. I've I've been manipulating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what I did. Like I just knew what to say in the situation, but after working in the fields, right. Um, I never went, got my master's in therapy. I just got my bachelor's in psychology and I've worked with some of my close friends who tell me literally the DSM five, well, which is now the updated, there was a DSM four before it's literally a diagnosis and then a list of, of potential requirements. And sometimes for some of the diagnosis, you just have to check off two boxes and so that was always my issue because I was a mentor. I did in-home therapy. I did in-home behavioral therapy with kids, and um, and I provided all these services and also with my own experience. And I'm like, so for an example, um, anxiety and let's say depression, I'm just making this up on the spot, can have very similar characteristics. And if you just check two of those boxes off or three of those boxes, whatever the requirements is, now you've just created a new label and slapped a label on anyone and it might not be wrong. And so my issue has always been um, just, just a concern with like, how easily therapists will just, you know, next thing you know, a person has been diagnosed with seven different things, and you're like, okay, what the heck? Like, what's going on?
2: Yeah, I look at, <laughs> like, every label in the book. There's, yeah, I'm anxiety, major depressive, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, like, addiction, alcoholism. It's like, hmm. It's, it, it's helpful in a sense because I think that I see it as, like, psychiatrists can then sort of funnel, like, what medication can you do. Yeah. They have, like, some sort of lens to look through. Mm-hmm. But that being said, like, we're also, like, these labels are put on her. I have a psychiatrist. I went, I went to a psychiatrist because my um, – I'm sorry. I went to a doctor who was going to put me through tests to figure out if I had ADHD. Mm-hmm. Because the doctor who sent me there wanted to make sure I was because of my path of addiction. She didn't want to give me ADHD meds because they're addictive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I took the test and I knew I had borderline, I tested one hundred percent borderline. But he said no. And my interaction with you—you you have PTSD, not borderline. It's like, but then to qualify for PTSD, he said that I would—it's called a rule out diagnosis. I'd have to go to wait for a second psychiatrist like and do the same test over again, and then interview with him and see what his ruling was. Yeah. And it's like if someone that feels depression and I can't get out of bed, you think I'm going to go and fucking set up another appointment to do the no. same fucking testing? Like- yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And and that that's my biggest concern with, like, just mental health in general is just, like, I mean, I don't know. Some people might not agree with this at all, but I feel like some part of the system kind of sets you up to fail or sets you up to not genuinely seek the help that you need. And, um... It's just you know, I've had kids who, who've been diagnosed three, four different things. And then, and not only that, you know, the providers, whether it's a therapist, counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, have all different levels of education that are all rooted in different styles of therapy. And so if you have one style of therapy that's behavioral... Um, and then another style of therapy that's more cognitive, their approaches to mental health is completely different, which then influences their style of diagnosing and prescribing. And so it's just like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating.
2: It's so hard because you can't be like mad because, or not mad, like, but you can't like, it's frustrating. You're yeah. lot of be frustrated because like emotions aren't wrong or right. It's is like tough because at the end of the day, like they're, we're trying again it goes back to like with the piece that i want to write like, it's all about control we're trying to control something we're trying to create an answer when they're in there. We can't we can't every human being in this world everyone that will be born in the future everyone that's been born in the past has died will always be significantly different than the next person there will never be one person that's anything like the next person so to like minimize almost so like a label if you can't it's not possible but we do it because you have to find some sort of control in the situation to, like make some understanding in our minds yeah. Of like, what do we do to help these people? But it's so, it's just so frustrating because like we're not doing enough. Like we can do more. Like I'm not. We shouldn't be prescribed like prescribed pills because there's some people like borderline personality disorder. We have literally a biological makeup. Like my amygdala is smaller than other people that don't have borderline personality disorder. But like you can do more in terms of like preventative care and at a young age teach kids how to like use emotion regulation and deal with like the fact that they have alcohol parents and teach them how to not use alcohol as like a um a, whatever you call it, like a coping mechanism but we don't do that
1: and I feel what I've noticed um is that instead of of creating that form of solution where you're educating children at a very young age to use different kind of healthy coping mechanisms. It's like more tests, um, are created to create more labels. And like, I don't know, this is like a quick side tangent. Like, I don't know if you've been aware of like that whole Enneagram phase that we're going through, which is like, ah. so it's pretty much like this test that you take. And then after you're done answering these questions, it's, it's, it's essentially like a personality test. And then it tells you what number um, you more likely... And then each number represents a different thing. So like um, a seven would be someone who is um, open to adventure, but has a difficult time with commitment. And then like, I think a nine is like a peacemaker. So you're always trying to create an environment of peace. And so everyone, like not everyone, but I've seen a lot of people that are just so obsessed with the Enneagram. And the numbers and what the numbers represent and what that means about their personality and their strengths and their weaknesses. And then it's just creating another label. And it's just like, why aren't we solving the issue of people having a difficult time identifying who they are? And
2: <laughs> it sucks it, because again, like I said, it goes back. Control, we want answer. Why yeah. answer? Is, and it's funny because you, have you read the book The Giver? Mm, mm-mm. Oh my God. So Giver? I won't get There's the whole story, but... In the beginning, like, they live in this utopian society where, like, at a certain age, you're given a job. Like, you're told you're going to be for the rest of your life. And, like, that's essentially what we're seeking with this, like, thing where I'm going to tell you what you're most likely going to be. Exactly. So strong. There's, like, a security and, like, a sense of comfort in that because guess what? Like, I've been reading, I'm listening to an audible called, um, it's called Bullet Note Methods. I'm trying to find a way to organize my life because it's constant chaos. And he was talking about the fact that, some people, like, think about um jobs. He wears, like, the sweater and he wears, date like, jeans. Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain, like, intellectual figures other than wear the same wardrobe because that's one less thing they have to worry about. Every day, they don't have to choose an outfit. They've yeah. limited choice, so it's one less choice that clutters their mind. Mm-hmm. And so if you live in a society where we just find a job, it's one less thing you have to fucking worry about. There's some people that walk around and never find they feel like they're a passion. Yeah. And it's like, that bothers them and, like, puts them down. and It's like, there, you know
1: what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, and it, and for me the biggest frustration with um, just labels in general, like, like you say, I think, I think labels do have good qualities about them just kind of creating more of an answer um, kind of helping you have more control of what's going on, like a diagnosis or um, you know, personality traits or whatever the label may be. But I think because of the control issue that our culture has, it can be a double-edged sword. And then like, so one of the issues that I had was, so I had this label and then I felt like I had to fit in this label. So then when I didn't fit into it or there were parts of my personality that just didn't, you know, like some days I'd be super sad, but other days I would be down, but I was happy. And it's like, okay, wait, but is that depression? You know, I feel like it just creates this even bigger confusion and the same with personality traits. If, if I'm getting a peacemaker and now I'm not being a piece of a person of peace, then am I still a peacemaker or am I now something else and where do I fit and where do I belong?
2: And, um, yeah, it's just this whole. <laughs> One of my biggest, they taught us this when I went to residential. Many of my things in like residential treatment or my partial hospitalization or my intensive outpatient program when have been. in for eating disorder is that like you have to mourn the loss of your eating disorder. Like that's who I was mm-hmm. for fourteen years. I've been an eating disorder. Yeah, and for six years of the anorexia yeah, and then to leave that, you're like, who the fuck am I? Like. Yep that's what I was known as, the girl with a meeting disorder, like yeah. and I was okay with that because I, I had something to hold on to. Yeah. And I was my best friend and guess what? She was always there. Like she's not gonna leave. Like she I knew what to expect. She was gonna be there. Like she was gonna yell at me. She was gonna starve me. But you know what? She didn't ever let me down because she lived up to a word which people don't do. Yeah. And um the thing is is that we live in a side like you said where we don't embrace or um celebrate the fact that we think people don't change. Like we get stuck in these roles and we're like, but I'm not that person anymore. And then we get mad at ourselves because why am I not that person anymore? It's like, no, like beauty is we're always evolving. You can't not not change. Like I step out the door and I'm going to encounter a squirrel that drops a nut in front of my foot and all of a sudden I have a new perspective on life or something Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that person exactly. anymore. Exactly. And why am I not? Why should I be mad at myself? Yeah. Like it's just, I, I, I don't know. But totally person, I don't know. It's like ass backwards at this point.
3: Yeah, yeah. Totally agree.
1: And um, so going into... You just made me think of my next question. So how was your experiences when you were in the hospital? Did you have good experiences, bad
3: experiences, or... Um, Did you find it useful at all?
2: The, even before the treatment center was, like, life-saving, I felt. Like, I give... For anyone that's listening to this, if anyone needs help with eating disorders, I always um, recommend Walden Behavioral Care. Mm-hmm. Um, I I went to. I didn't find services there until, like, I should have found services when I was It's absolutely ridiculous and mind-blowing to me. But a pediatrician didn't step in. I was being weight every week. But, by the way, always, also guzzling water and weighting myself that no one knew about. Yeah. Because I was making myself way more than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, don't step in. Yeah. So a friend finally did when I started getting suicidal when I was like, like 21 or 22?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And well into, well into like the binging disorder and it saved my life. And honestly, like, um there's a South Windsor facility. And it's not for everyone, but the South Windsor facility, Rebecca DeWaico is the um, director there and like I said, I hope that all this gets out there get he's, the most amazing mentor and save my life because I would be crying at meals and she would sit down with me and be the only person to get me Yeah. Um Yeah. As for hospital, when you're dealing with suicide, totally different. It's very sad to me because it's just, teen disorder is a very specialized treatment term. Like, there's not enough out there, but when you get into it, it's, it's own thing. Yeah. There's so much out there for like generalized like mood disorders and, like, sociopathic, like, all of, like, the personality stuff. you're all grouped together. I was in a treatment center dealing with, like, having tried to kill myself and self-harming with a man that was painting murals and thought he was painting, like, Mona Lisa. Like, he needed a different type of help than I did. Yeah, yeah. Like, and when we were in there, it was just to keep us, like, in there to be safe. There was no, there were no groups, per se, that were helpful. Yeah, there were no real like one on one interactions. It was just like you guys don't have access to sharks, so like that's what we're to for you. Yeah, and that's mind blowing to me because like, how long have people been dealing with this? That like we don't have more out there. Like why have we stopped? Why have we not done more? Yeah. So I, you just go in there, and I, me and my friend talk about this. Who want, who and I want to create the YouTube page? Like you walk out of there, and it's like nothing changed. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, if they, they've helped with, I'll give this credit, like, when they put you in there, you get, like, a set of time of safety, if that makes sense, or sobriety, yeah, so yeah. that, like, you get, like, perspective, but once yep. like, you're on the real world, the real world steps back in. Exactly. If you weren't given any coping mechanism.
1: Exactly. It's, it's just like a buffer period, it almost feels like, like, just to get you to get through a week or two weeks, and then out, back you go, and then... <laughs> like, insurance, how long are we going to keep
2: you? you don't got money, you don't have insurance, we can't help you.
1: Mm-hmm. Which blows my mind, blows my mind.
2: And then, I have always been picked out of the kneeing disorder treatment center like too soon because my insurance wasn't going to cover it anymore, even though I wasn't ready.
1: Yeah, and like, and so that's like part of my passion is because I, I know that there's so much stuff that's going on, right? There's so many issues and so many problems, but I truly hope that everyone who's listening to this, it sparks that fire within themselves to realize that we're the ones that have to do something about it, right? We're the ones that need to to start, you know, if this is inspiring you or touching your heart to like go out there and figure out what the heck needs to be done. Because it's, it's ridiculous that like, for me, I didn't even make it into any form of help because I knew how to answer the questions correctly. But had someone taken the time to truly sit down and genuinely ask me questions, I, you know, they would have known quickly at the amount of times that I had already tried to commit suicide, made it through the hospital and never got any help. You know, like, like little signs that people would have picked up if they would have taken the time.
2: Like, it's so frustrating. Like, I always said that with, I went in Georgetown for two years. Like, you know, like not for nothing. Like that's the second year I've been in school. And like, they're accredited and should have like, think that they should have some sort of concern about their appearance. I'm dying and no one said anything to me for a moment about like coming into a class, like literally like with my five layers of clothing, on, drenched in sweat or the fact that like the gym people saw me seven days or the fact that the doctor took the test on me, that the chemicals being released in my body were saying that my muscles were deteriorating and nothing was done. Like, I'm sorry. I understand that at that point, like I should be an adult, but at some point like someone has to intervene. Like why does no one care enough? Yeah. Like, I literally, I <laughs> keep it short and simple, like, a couple weeks ago, like, this is the type of person I am. I walked outside, and a girl and a man, a, clearly, like, a couple were panicking at their car. And i was like, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm going to go up and help. Yeah, yeah. It kind of turned out, like, it was as simple as, like, losing a phone, but I did everything. Like, I went to Verizon next door, and, like, we did, I did everything to help them. It's like, not enough people do that. And I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm like, I have my, like, you know, things that hurt. I'm not the best at or the things that I fucked up. And I'm not the best person in the world, but I don't understand why people don't care enough to help other people.
1: Yeah. And a lot of it is just a simple question or just a simple check-in or, you know, like, and, uh, and that, that really doesn't happen. It, it blows my mind that it really doesn't happen. And I mean, cause I know for just with my experiences, there were so many opportunities where um, people could have just like, I don't know how to explain it. Like not to like, I'm not blaming any of my friends, right? Stuff happens. It's, I totally understand. I was young. We were all young, but I had mentioned things that had someone just been like, Hey, is everything okay? You know, like something that's, yeah. and it was completely avoided. It was kind of like the, the elephant in the room and you're just like, Oh, <laughs>
2: I've always been that person. Like I think about it now to like talk too much and it gets me in trouble and I get it. I get it. Like I, I have the ability to overanalyze people and like tell it to you bluntly and it gets a little mad and I make enemies, but like, it makes me think. And in middle school, there was this girl who was struggling with an eating disorder and she didn't think she had, well, she rationalized that she didn't have one because going back to the label, didn't qualify based on the criteria to have one. Yeah. But she literally was so, dis- you know what I mean? Like it was impacting her life so much that to me, like. An eating disorder is an eating disorder if, like you if your life is so impaired yeah. by the like the calorie count or your weight or anything it's like you can't get out of bed someday or what you wear is like too tight to you like in your mind like it's fucking up your daily living schedule like that's an eating disorder yeah and then also disorder eating but anyway i went and got help for her and she was mad at me she was mad at me for years but i like literally called her out on it and she was like Cause, like, you're trying to like, her rationalization was, you know, you're trying to take the light off the are Like, no, I know i have a disorder. Like, I I know that. Like, that's comforting to me because I have an identity now. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm trying, I'm always the one to be like, I will say something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I think that's important too, overall, is, is people having the courage to speak up more because we worry so much about offending the other person or, or saying the wrong thing. But some people need to be told, you know obviously you want to take the best approach for it possible, but some people need to be called out on stuff. And if no one else is doing it, then those people will continue down the path that they're going without anyone telling them any differently. And like, I was just having a conversation with my friend the other day, how people in leadership roles, like my goal is to, is to want to figure out how to make a change worldwide. Like it's just this crazy big goal that I have. And, and we were talking about how that,
3: Includes
1: calling people out when they're in leadership roles that are doing things that they should not be doing. And, and then you hear about stuff. Okay. For an example, this is like side story, um, with the owner of the Patriots team, right? Um, how recently, okay, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but recently he's going through this whole, um, this whole case because he's tied to this like prostitution or like human trafficking situation that I don't know if he was funding, you know, I haven't read the full details, but it makes me think, I guarantee you, if this is true, that there were people around his circle that knew that he was doing this right? So then why did no one say anything? Right. And so that just goes to show that, that we culturally cower down to people in power, or, you know, maybe we don't have the confidence to speak up, but why is no one saying anything? The same thing with the whole Me Too movement, where you have all, you know, like all these people that are going through all these situations. And I know, damn sure that people knew what was going on. And no one said anything. So for me, it's just like, I, I want to encourage people to have that courage to speak up. If you see someone that's sad, not to be afraid to go up to them and check and see if everything's okay. Or, yeah, go ahead. <laughs>
2: I'm like, ah! <laughs> you made really a point. Like, I I can't even remember his name. This is so, like, it blows my mind. And I feel like it gets me, like, fearful because I, when I was at Georgetown, my like freshman year, there was this guy. I mm-hmm. I think his name was Jason. And, like, I wish clearly I knew how he was doing because, like, I didn't see him after he went to the hospital. Um, He was made fun of. I was like, are we, like, are we in elementary school? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. And it was because he was too feminine or, like, he just didn't click for something, like, in their mind. But I didn't see him as any different. Like, I never thought of that. Like, I always talked to him. I was always nice. I don't treat anyone different. Like, even if you, like, want to, like... Take water at me. Like, I'm still going to try. Like, try. Don't get me wrong. Like, I've been mean to people, like, when I've had to. But, like, my intention is always, like, you know, do kindly to others, especially what I want done to me. Yeah. And I got a call when I was at the gym, of course, at the gym one day. And I was listed as his emergency contact. He had tried, or at least, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I can't think of where I'm going to turn Oh, my God. He just, um, he said he was going to kill himself.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or at least tried to. And I, 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 who like I said, they don't. I think of name Jason. Like I didn't even know him. I was just the one person that gave a fuck, mm-hmm. that like said hi to him in the morning. Yeah. And I was in emergency contact. Like mind blown. And it's like I like that's what it bothers me. Like people don't understand like how far just a smile and hello goes. Like to him, I, that mess, that changed his life somehow. Yeah. I did, and I didn't.
3: To me, that was just meeting me. Being me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I could, we could go on and on. It, you know, it's yeah.
1: There's, well, it blows my mind too. It blows my mind too. But um, just to get back, and uh, I I did want to ask. So you had mentioned about the moment in your life when you were depressed or something that you were kind of going through, and and what do you think kind of affected that or. Um like
2: not
1: a started, or, yeah, like, like, like what, what started it for you, do you think?
2: The only time I started like honestly like considering suicide was after like my first breakup. Like it destroyed me. Yeah. And I haven't like I'm no longer how do I put this? I've never recovered and you'll never recover from like certain things. They say that um, you're always going to be like a different version of yourself. Like I'm never going to be the girl that I was. <laughs> I went from like, I played every sport. I danced. I played two instruments. I was valedictorian of my high school. Like even yeah. when I did it. And then I started, this is where the borderline sets. And this is where I started to acknowledge it coming out is that like, I gave up everything for my relationship. That's how I am. I don't know how to not be that way. You yeah. know, it took everything out of me. And he was abusive and controlling and manipulative and like, there's so much, like I said, hopefully if we get to talk again, I can go into detail, but um, that was it. And then he broke me. Like, and he, I don't, I don't think poorly of him. Like it needed to happen. He did what like I couldn't do, but that was literally like, he was my identity. That's the thing with borderline is that you don't have an identity anymore. You kind of like attach to your relationship. Yeah, yeah. And he left and he basically told me he didn't love me anymore, which. He came back years later and was like, "I lied." Yeah. But thank you for destroying my life, brother. Yeah. Um, that's when it started—the self harm, the drinking. Mm-hmm. I stopped going to live. and it hasn't. It's funny because that mindset is weird. It's like once you start—like, how do I say this simply? So, for the eating disorder, the best comparison I can have is I started restricting as simple as I started having an apple and yogurt at lunch every day because I wanted to make weight for the teeth. But because it became a habit, as we all know, habits form it snowballed and it became ingrained. It became like in the neural pathways, Mm -hmm. Like it just exists now. Like it's it's who I am. And the same thing with this suicidal ideology. Like it just became so paramount that after a while it was just who I was. Like it just, how do I unthink that? I don't remember anymore like what it was to not feel that way. Yeah, yeah. But I don't necessarily want to die anymore. Like, I definitely, like, it's definitely a fleeting thought often. Like, there's many times where I'm like, mm, it would be nice if I didn't have to be here anymore. Yeah. Because I don't want to fuck this. But it's not an active thing anymore because after my eye then thin, it's a little more like this. That's why I think, like you were mentioning, it's so important to
1: just be the best you can to every single person you come across. Because you never
3: know what they are going through.
2: Exactly. And then you can't, like, at the end of the day, you know you're your best. Like you said, do, you do your best to try and help people, obviously. But, like, sometimes there's just, that's all you can do.
1: So so what do you do, um, so now having gone through that depression and, you know, it, even it being something that you, constr- you struggle with here and there, um, what do you, what helps you? Like, what do you do to kind of get you going through the day?
2: Honestly, like, I'm still struggling with that. I'm yeah. pretty much still in the thick of, like, I traded, like, one addiction for another. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I started, like, drinking a lot in the past because it made me stop thinking about my body. Yeah. Um, so in a sense, like, alcoholism actually helps me get over my eating disorder. Yeah. Because it built up enough time not thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. That it didn't become a behavior anymore. Mm-hmm. It's always there to always learn I always resources. But, like, not to the, like, the potency that it used to have. Yeah. But then the alcoholism just filled it. Like, there's always a addiction for something. Yeah. And, um... I'm still definitely battling that and um, the best thing I'm trying to do now I'm trying to like cut back on the things that I used to love or at least finding that structure again. So like for instance I just joined a flag football team and nice. that's been the most like, so far it just started like I'm not good.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: But it's the most healing thing because I'm active again like I feel like I'm such the team play. like I love being around people in that vibe and like I used to play soccer and softball and I go for the guys swim team Um, so it's just that so far has been helping. And then I'm trying to, like I said, make that YouTube page with my friends. It's like writing down a list of things that you miss and or things that you want to aspire to be and then breaking it down into small steps and taking those small steps. And it's fucking hard. Yeah. Like, I'm not there yet at all. But like, my first step was joining this team. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think too, for everyone who's listening, it's it's having that understanding that it is a process. And it's a daily process. It's not just like... One yeah, exactly, and and I mean, I even have conversations with my friends now. Like right now, I am in the best place that I've ever been, just overall, like just having more enjoyment in life, and and but I notice when I start slipping because I, for myself personally, I know that I need to have a structure. If I don't have a structure, I start falling into that those same old patterns again. I know that I can't drink, and 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 when I do, I have to be very careful because I fall back into um, using alcohol as a coping mechanism when I'm having a really rough day, and then just drinking too hard and getting blackout drunk, and and then getting back into my depressive thoughts and that whole and so it's it's one of those things where. You know, we're constantly changing, like you mentioned, and we're constantly growing. And just, I think what's crucial, at least what was crucial for me, is continually having an awareness of what my weaknesses are and what my triggers are, and then working very hard to avoid them, if that makes any sense. You know, because I'm never going to be perfect. I'm, I'm It's always going to be something I struggle with. You have to
2: like know who you are. Yeah. And it's like I know what I'm born with, you know what I mean? Like I'm handicapped. we well, handicapped in some way. Yeah, yeah. Or you know what I mean? Maybe because yeah. we have superhuman powers. Like we all are like equipped with different things. Like I get to feel intensely, like I'm gonna feel love like no one else will. And it sucks because at the same time I feel pain in such a like like a way that's suffocating. But then again, like I said, like I give a love that no one else is ever gonna get. Yeah. And I have to use it to my advantage but then also know where those weaknesses we lie. So every day I have to wake up and make that choice. And I've told myself in the last couple of years, I was like, I have two choices in life right now. I'm either going to excel as a therapist and like help change this world or I'm going to die. Like I will with the path that I was on and like, I'm still struggling with my heart.
1: But I think, I think the beauty of it too is that regardless of like how many steps back you take or like how much you fall back, you can get up and keep going. And, and right now, you know, like, like you mentioned, it's still something you're constantly struggling with, but the fact that you're still pushing forward and having this desire to want to help people is going to keep lifting you up and getting you through until you're at a place where you look back and you're like, wow, you know, like just getting to a more like positive headspace or just a more, um, not, you know, not saying that you aren't, but just, uh, (laughs) A better place than where you are now and how you're feeling now. And like oh, yeah. and it's a like you were mentioning, it's a daily struggle. And one of the things that helped me tremendously that you had already mentioned is is learning who you are and loving yourself regardless of all the flaws and mix ups that you know that you have. And um like I still have days where I stay in bed all day for a day. But the difference between now and then is like now when I do it I've I know you know what this is just a part of who I am I just get my lows and my lows are different than someone else's lows and my lows require for me to be in bed and just watch some tv and do absolutely nothing and then I just get out of it but um I I no longer beat myself up over it because I just know that that's who I am and it's it's okay but I don't like you know I don't know you well I do now kind of (laughs) but um I, I genuinely feel everyone has a purpose in life, right? And the struggles that you're still going through right now is going to continue to build you up and prepare you for all the people who you're going to have when you're a therapist. And oh yeah, they, you know, and they're gonna say, "Hey, like I'm still going through this," and you're gonna be like, "I know exactly how you're," and 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 you will come across the people who are desperately trying to find that connection and find that understanding and you'll meet them and it's just like hey like i know exactly what that's like and and so that's why i think it's so important that more people share their story because we're all yeah. like not fucked up but it, you know in a way we just all have shit that's going on you know that's just the reality we've all been through different things and and um why can't we share it and you know just to like be there for each other. Like, why is it that as soon as you start sharing stuff that you're going through, people start labeling you crazy, or people start labeling you all these negative
2: um, Have labels? Have you ever read "Um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close" by uh, on Boyer? No, "Extremely Loud." yeah, right. you should read this. Like, my favorite book of all time. read multiple times. It's so funny how life connects in different ways. I read this book going into my senior year of high school, my AP English class. Mm-hmm. And back then, I didn't realize it's, like, important until I, like, reread it and then reread it and then saw it, like, how it, like, um, applies my whole life. Mm-hmm. And not to ruin the book, but, like, the general gist is this boy loses his father in 9-11, which is funny because my biggest issue is 9-11, where everything started. Yeah, yeah. And he spends the whole book encountering people that are struggling to realize he's not alone. Like, the mission wasn't, it has nothing to do with this, but, like that's the it's, like the essence of like this whole journey is that like there's this healing process. He starts to heal. Yeah, he's all he has all these fears as a nine year old, like he won't go on elevators. He won't. He won't do this, he won't do that because of 9-11. Like, and it's like, it starts to fade because of the journey he's taking. And it's like, it's yeah. exactly what we're saying right now. Like we forget that the person next door is probably like, I don't know if my neighbor's crying right now over a, a boyfriend. Yeah. like, And I was just crying, like, you know what I mean? Crying last night over something like that. You know, it's just like, we feel so alone, hence the title, extremely loud. Like we're all screaming and incredibly close. But like no one's hearing it. Yeah. 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 And why?
1: Why do you think that?
2: Because we're, because we live in a society where we're told to succeed, you have to, like, be number one by yourself. To get to the top, it has to be you. You have to push everyone aside and be you. And we've created this culture where it's just, like, everyone fighting every man for himself. No. Like, whatever happens to, like, a village raises a child? I was just like, going to say that. <laughs> step, oh, my God. Like, yeah. how much healing would be in that? Like, we all feel so alone. hmm mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's, and so I'm, that's something that I want to try and find is, is how do we bring an awareness to people that it's okay to meet other people? And like you said, a village raises a child and, and instead of pushing everyone out in, and you know, like I know stuff happens, but I just don't, I want to figure out a way to kind of break that cycle and break that pattern. Um, And that's what I'm hoping to do with this too with like people sharing stories and and just having moments of vulnerability it's just like dude like we all go through this what like and and even with social media too i think social media is now painting this picture of perfection of all these wonderful positive moments that everyone's going through and fails to you know bring a realization that like yeah today i had a wonderful day I posted this amazing picture, but last night I was bawling my eyes out or super stressed because something crappy just happened.
2: I'm like the bluntest person on social media. That's probably why a lot of people either don't like me or like me. Yeah. I'm a
1: There's I mean, nothing like, wrong with being blunt. I love it.
2: I mean, like as it is, man. Like some days I'm like, What sucks. And like, this is what PTSD is. Yeah. And I don't know. I like that's why I mean maybe we can coordinate at some point and we'll get to talk in the future like I said the whole video thing that I'm trying to create with my friend Mindy um, yeah talk about it more what
3: was
2: that?
1: so talk about it more that was actually one of my questions I wanted you to tell me more about this like vision that you have with like YouTube and videos
2: We literally me and her were up all night talking about it because it's so funny we both have this vision and didn't know that we've had this vision for each other (laughs) we met each other when we we were both hitting rock bottom actually we both had lost a significant relationship and we were both self-harming like together like it was like a suicide attack basically yeah yeah. like you leave I leave like you cut I cut like mm-hmm. the most toxic things it had but also the most comforting if you think about it because we stayed around to be there for each other yeah you know what I mean but sometimes there's a trade-off like I said like alcoholism helped me get over an eating disorder like
3: mm-hmm.
2: not ideal but mm-hmm. the eating disorder is going to kill me regardless so like you kind of have to like I don't know transition somehow and so like if cutting meant not killing myself Okay, it's few as far as it is. Like, it kind of, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. But that's the best we could do. And so she's at, like, this, I'm so proud of her. She has such a phenomenal point in her life, like, like, rocking sobriety and, like, really, like, dealing with, you know, like I said, without, like, disclosing her whole life story, just, like, really taking on a lot in her life. And so we were talking last night, and um, we just both have the same vision. It's like, I've been, I tried doing, like, a, like a Wix website where it was, like, an online journal because so I'm really bad at, like, writing. Because I just don't ever have, like, patience for it. And it was hard to get, like, up and going. So I, like, kind of, like, lost momentum. Yeah, yeah. But I was kind of, like, how can I do this? And I've always had in the back of my mind, like, I just – we're in day and age where, like, YouTube's the thing. Like, people want to, you know, see faces or whatever and make it interactive. And I just wanted to be, like, real – like, I was saying to her last night. Like, some days I'll make a video where I just want to be in bed. Or, like, I'll literally be in bed, like, not putting makeup on because I'm not trying to, like – we get so, like, concerned with appearance. Like, everyone's just showing up on YouTube with, like, layers of makeup or whatever because, like, I want to be the next Hollywood star. No, I'm here because I just want you to have someone to, like, listen to because you feel... Like, maybe all your friends are gone or you feel alone and now you can, like, hear me tell my shit so you feel less alone.
3: Yeah.
2: And then maybe, like, having it grow so that we can interview people on these, like, on the uh, channel. But, like, it's just... And then I want to write a book as well so it's a whole other...
3: Yeah. So with... So with... Your
1: YouTube videos, you want to kind of give your, like, day-to-day so people can connect?
2: Is that... Yeah, I think we'll probably start off as more of, like... I was trying to think that, too, like, the frequency. Um, well, like I said, without getting into, like, my friend's shit, we're probably going to do, like, a... Like, a, I would like to do once a month us together, mm-hmm. but we're probably going to do, like, our own. So, I kind of also keep the, um, the appeal of, like, you don't know who's going to appear... Yeah. because she has her own personality you know what i mean like and she has her own job versus mine like and we we do very similar things but we have a totally different approach yeah so like one day it's gonna be her and like you know what i mean like all of a sudden you show up to like the page and you're like who's it gonna be today yeah. and it's just gonna be like sometimes it's gonna be nonsense like today i did nothing and like it's been four days since i showered and you know my parents are yelling and you know what i mean like literally just like like a word bomb such as gonna be healing for me too to get it off my chest. Yeah. But like saying real life shit, because it's like, no, life's not fun. And like, I think it'll start off as like giving like background stuff, but there's a lot to still be sorted now.
1: Yeah. Well, and like, and like you mentioned, you know, there, like, there's so many great moments about life but there is moments that suck. And, and that's just how life is. You know, the good comes with the bad. And, and um, as a culture, we try so hard to kind of hide the bad and only talk about the good. But the bad stuff happens
3: too,
2: <laughs> you know? Like, I've learned that perspective is everything. Like I learned this in college. Yes. But that's like literally a life change. I have the most phenomenal teacher. If you ever see this, Doug Ryan, I like, I give you, I can't like, standing ovation Changed my life he said the, like something along the lines of a reframe can change like change a life or save a life mm-hmm. and reframe meaning like a new perspective like he said like it's like moving the furniture in your head so then all of a sudden you have a totally different view of like the living room in your head yeah it's like you just see for and it can't go back like you know how like you see the double image of like the dust? And then the, you know, what I'm talking about like where you see, or like the old lady and the young lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh-huh. like once you see it, like you can't unsee it. Yeah. It's so, um, I just have this perspective of where was I going? It? Uh,
1: You're talking about reframing.
2: Oh, that I want people to realize that, like, it's I've always been like a realist slash pessimist. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and that will never change. It's just I, if you reframe it, that life's just hard, hard most of the time and it's difficult, and there's no manual, then you learn to appreciate, like, the few happy times. So we, unfortunately, I think where we get ourselves in trouble is that we think life is supposed to be easy. We think it's supposed to be happy all the time. So then when all of this starts, like, falling down, so like, well, why isn't it, like, fair? It's like, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Like, literally, we're put on earth, and, like, you just have a deal. Like, none of us got a manual. And it's just, like, so then you start to reframe it as, like, oh, so, like, Ninety percent of the time, it sucks, and the ten percent of the time is like those great, those great moments where you hold on to them. Like the day you, like your first kiss. Like you're never gonna have that again. That, but you know what? That night probably fucking rocked. Yeah. And it's like you have you have to hold on to those. And people like when it gets really dark. And I get this because I've had many dark moments. Like you, it all goes away.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think like like because in James' um, interview. We had talked about that too, but just perspective and um, the point that James had made is, you know, you have two, you have two choices. You can either choose to view something in a positive way, or you can choose to view something in a negative way, but it doesn't change the thing that happened. It's just how you decide to approach it and process it. And, And I totally agree with too, like at least where I was then, there is, there is a lot of negative things that happen. And you can't really change it. You can only change how you respond to them and react to them. Um, I do, I I can say that where I am now, I do see a lot more positive in things, even if negative things take place, but it's because I choose to view everything in a more positive um, perspective than I was before. But it had like, nothing in my life has changed, it's just the way that I've, like, I choose to see all the circumstances that are taking place.
2: And I would argue that you're not necessarily seeing in a positive light, because I know some people have an issue with that word, such as myself. Mm-hmm. Um, more of it, it's a, what do they call that? Like, um, it's just a, an instance to learn, like a, a, a checkpoint where it's like, what did I learn from this? <laughs> like, if you're playing a video game, it's like, you get that checkpoint where it's like, what did I gather in my knapsack? Like, it's just like shit's gonna happen whether it's good or bad which again subjective yeah um and you just have to the way you are going to be able to process it and move forward essentially is just like having to frame it as what can i take away from this so like i literally just lost my best like not lost physically speaking my best friend chose to essentially walk away from me i played my part in it but like this morning was basically like no nope. and i was like you know what I cried and it sucked and I lost a great friend, but at the same time, it was a learning, you know, a, I have to appreciate the five years I had with her yeah. and at the same time take away from it, like, what did I learn? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and what do I learn about myself? And like also learning something about like, what do you put up with? Yeah. Find your strength.
3: Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I totally agree with that too. That's such
1: a good point. Like everything is a learning experience and, and making that in, and I think people get set back when they choose not to learn from this situation or from, you know, the, whatever it is that's happened or taken place. And again, we can't change anything, right? Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. We can only control ourselves and make the decision to learn from the experiences that we've had both good or bad, you know, um, depending on the perspective, but, um, it is learning. And, and, and I think when we get stuck in that, like, what could I have done differently? But in, in like, yeah. That, yeah, like in that toxic mindset and just getting consumed with like that moment in that, in, in, you know, tragedy or whatever it may be, you, you don't give yourself room to move forward over the fact that unfortunately you can't do anything about it anymore. Yeah and yeah and 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 all you can do is is how you choose to take that next step forward and either learn from it or not learn from it
2: And, and i think that's one of the hardest parts like with borderline personality disorder is that their relationships are the cutest thing we get so attached to people that that's exactly what happens is that we get attached and then when they leave it's like abandonment and consumes us and they're like what did I do wrong what did I do wrong and then we like ruining and it's like that's where the depression then kicks in the suicide kicks in the self-harm kicks in because exactly what you said we don't we can't process or move forward because of that whole like attachment we have like attachment disorder essentially
3: mm-hmm.
2: like we've <laughs> lost ourselves in people and then what do you do from there like you can't um if you don't learn how to process and cope and move forward and learn all these techniques like you're fucking lost yeah. And I did that for years with my perfect boyfriend. Like, I was, you know what I mean? It took me about five years essentially to get over a three and a half year relationship. I think um,
1: there's so much I can go into it. I don't, I'm going to see what other questions I have too, really quick. Um, but I think, like, that just makes me think that. I think sometimes people want a quick fix, right? They want, they want like something happens and they're like, okay, tomorrow, that's it done. But some things do take a very long time. Like from, from all, like when I, I talk about my story, there's like this 10 year span of crap that just kept piling up and piling up and piling up. And it took me years to even get through a breakup you know, that was, like, detrimental to me and my identity and who I thought I was. And, yeah. and um, people don't give themselves enough time to kind of to flow through those feelings and, and flow through, you know?
2: Well, that's the problem, is because we teach people to numb. We don't teach people to, like, live in the feelings. We don't process the emotions. because we're, like, numb, numb, numb. Like, it's not okay to feel this way. Like, that's exactly what, exactly what we were talking about earlier, teaching kids how to properly, like, regulate emotions or, like, process emotions. We don't know how to do that.
1: Yeah. And, like, for me, I still remember I talked about my amazing yoga instructor, Kendra. Like, she – like, one of the quotes – she quoted this guy, and, like, what stuck out with to me the most is she said um, – life is like riding a wave and and you have to just embrace that wave when it comes, whether it's a wave of anger or sadness allow yourself to feel those things and then move on from them, but feel it and um, yeah, we do live in a culture that just numbs and um, and, and it's something that has to change for sure something that has to change what was that?
2: that it starts
1: with us yeah, I know. That's why, like, I'm like, want yeah. to people, dude, and just be like, come on, this, I, am I'm, I'm sick of it. It's like enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. We
2: talk about it. You're feelings. like,
1: Yeah, <laughs> get so worked up
2: and like, I do. I get intense, man. I've got, like literally, I just came out the guy that I'm talking to and was like, right in the riot act because I was like, feel.
1: <laughs> and that's another thing too with men in that culture of men not feeling. Oh. That's a whole nother thing, but I mean, yeah, I'm literally. So, like, so I, I can,
3: totally with that. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, so let's see. And so one of the questions that I feel like we had already covered is, um, so, because my, my goal is to help others heal and feel less alone. And, and then I had just met, asked, do you think that loneliness is a big part of causing people to hurt more? Like that lack of community and connection.
2: Definitely. I think yeah. it's people losing. People lose sight of who they are because they have no one else to ground them. I feel like a lot of times there's like comfort in being surrounded by people that you've like, you like brought into your life because they reflect back to you like memories you've had together or like emotions you've shared. And it's like if you separate and isolate from that, like, and you're already in the dark and you've forgotten who you are. <laughs> There is no one there to echo back. Like I remember who you are. Yeah. Like so, I think it's a very and it's funny because it's very like this weird situation because when you're depressed, you just tend to isolate more. Like when you need most, like to be around people for the most part. Yeah. And that's yeah. hard. Don't get me wrong. Like I fight it a lot. Yeah. But I go to one extreme or the other because the borderline. Like I'll either be like all immersed in people and numbing because like I'm avoiding, yeah, or yeah. them like under my sheets like not like sleeping twenty four seven. So
3: yeah yeah
2: definitely I definitely believe like I feel like we think we're all very special in snowflakes <laughs> but in reality we're actually not that special in the sense that we're all doing the same shit we're all like suffering the same way yeah and then we when we isolate it's just like that like we get detached the and then you can't survive anymore like literally that's just like if you look back, how does a tribe survive? Because they have each other, like, to protect each other. You can't, you just can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, humans were not meant to, like, walk this earth alone. Yeah.
1: You heard that, everyone listening?
2: They you to work together. It's a problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: People are not we, we're we're against each other, like, especially men versus females. Like, we're not allowed to communicate with each other because girls are too emotional and guys aren't allowed to be, like, feminine, quote-unquote.
3: hmm
2: So it's like we're just doomed. Like, if no one wants to make it, like, if no one wants to speak up and, like, be blunt.
1: Yeah. So that's my goal is to stop this impending doom
2: from taking place. <laughs> And, and Hey, I mean, like, one person at a time, man. I give yeah. you a lot of credit, and uh, you're inspiring. Thank you. I mean, you, you even talked about
1: people who were one person who was life-changing. That all, that's all it takes, just one person, to just create that movement and, and create that shift. And um, so, like... My life was saved by a man.
2: Yeah. By one man saved my life. One phone call from another state away got the cops to my parents' house, which got to my house, which saved me a dime when I was unresponsive. Mm-hmm. Had he not done thing, I wouldn't be here.
1: And I don't think people realize the impact of one human being. You know, th- there's this idea that like, no, you need like all this stuff, all these people, all this big um, shift or impact. And it's like, no, one person. person. And, and, and even that person you mentioned that you hadn't even really met or knew that well, that had you as an emergency contact.
2: Like he felt it wasn't really alone,
1: one person that's it. And so, for I just have two more questions if you still have time. Okay, so one of my questions what do you think is the biggest victory that you've had, or one of the victories that you have? Because even though you're still going through struggle, right? Because we all still go through struggle there's always these moments I feel like we can pull from that that is like a a success, no matter how big or small.
2: Honestly, I think it's like, the eating disorder will always be like, you have to eat every day, so it's always going to be lingering. But honestly, like, finding recovery in that, that was 14 years of my life. Like, that's, I'm 27, that's more than half my life that I was dying from eating disorder. I'm telling you, like, like, like I said, it still comes up every once in a while, but, like, I was way to the scale. Like, I, if my scale wasn't with me, I brought it with me. I went to France with my senior class, um, my 80 French class, and I brought a scale with me. Yeah. Um, uh, I counted calories. I barely ate there. I lost weight somehow still. Like, yeah. I might actually not, I'll even pinpoint it better. I stopped counting calories. Like, I don't, I used to, I never thought that day would ever happen. Yeah. Like I was like, it will never happen. And I know and hopefully there's people out there like when this gets posted, I'll share it with the people that I've been in treatment with and they hear this, but it's like possible because I swear to God, like I would know every day my rolling, like it was just like a, a math roll every day. I can tell you like anything you ask me, I know the calorie count. Yeah. To this day, but I don't at least like it's not there anymore. I just eat. Yeah, yeah. I definitely thought that be possible.
1: And I think that's amazing too, that you're sharing that because sometimes people think because they've been struggling with something for so long, right? You mentioned it was something you struggled with for 14 years and we think like, oh, fuck it. Like that's, it, it just is what it is, but we can overcome yeah. things that we continually struggle with for a long period of time. And, and that's what I want everyone to understand too, who's listening to this. It doesn't matter how long or how many years it's been that you've been struggling with the same thing over and over and over again there is potential for that to change for you to have victory over it. And, um, and I just don't want people to, that's because that's awesome. I'm proud of you. That's so,
3: that's awesome.
2: Yes. Um, I don't think I give myself enough credit for it, but it's, um, it's funny. I've never given myself a lot of credit for a lot of things, but like I said, I, I thought, I thought it was going to kill me. Yeah. Like I was, really upset like I was like if I ever in this way like I am <laughs> I was like if i never ever like I'm not gonna say numbers because like I said if anyone this is like pro tip if you're ever with someone that's the sort and never mention numbers so I won't say the number but I was like if I ever get to x amount of weight I was like I'll kill myself and I still dealt with food guys stuff but like I am well past that way and like here I am like awesome
3: you you should give yourself a lot
1: more credit we're our worst enemy. I, I'm I'm convinced us and our mindsets and our thoughts are our biggest enemy and our biggest uh, like you know, like that voice that can just bring you down and bring you down quick.
2: And, and I just feel on my shoulder that there's the scariest monsters work within our souls. Yeah. That's so true. That's it. We are we're we are our demise. People commit suicide because we like it's just, I don't care how much you've been bullied, I don't care what people said to you, but I've been bullied too. Yeah, they that, but, like, you, you want that, you create that
3: away.
2: hmm Like, that's a own. Like, you sort of,
3: like, it's on your shoulder, and it's, like, you kill yourself. Often, like. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I had to read, um, I read these two books called Power Thoughts and, like, Battlefield of the Mind and stuff, and, like, because my brain, like, my thoughts were just so much in control of everything I did and just put me in such a dark place. And um, having victory over that, like for me, was just life changing. And um, I thought, like, like you're mentioning, I thought I was never gonna get over that. Like that, that was just life. Like that, that was just this constant
2: deal with. Like that was it.
1: Yeah, that was just default. My thoughts were what they were. Mode.
2: Like you're autopilot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like to be. Continue, sorry. no no it's okay i was just gonna say to be able to overcome that like that was something that i never thought i was going to be able to change because it's something i struggled with my entire life and i'm 30 and i still struggle with it but i'm not where i was before so
2: just, always constantly oh. changing. yeah but what was my issue like as a side note with the 13 reasons why show i, saw I understand that. that we're trying to raise awareness for like uh, bullying and suicide, but, like, she may, um, why would you get on a grandpa? Like, as someone who's trying to tell herself, like, it's nobody else's problem, but your own, like, you had a mental health condition the way I have a mental health condition, you know what I mean? Like, she struggled with depression, probably a host of other things, and at the end for her to, like, leave videos to be, like, and screw you, and screw you, to, like, sure, you want to teach a lesson, but, like you're perpetuating an issue what you now want them to go kill themselves like i'm sure they now have issues because you just told them that you killed yourself because of them yeah you're perpetuating the issue like that's not awareness
1: yeah and like you you were mentioning before the whole pointing fingers like like this whole you know one person blaming the other and the other person blaming back and it's like no like that that doesn't matter what matters is that there's a problem and, and we need to figure out a problem. Like we need to figure out how to solve that problem, not how that problem came to be in the first. So, yeah. yeah.
2: So yeah. I didn't Communication. Know. Communication. Communication. Communica- yeah. <laughs> I don't understand people. Like literally no one knows how to communicate. I'm like, just talk. I don't. Talk it out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Use your
3: words.
1: <laughs> oh. I know I get worked up
0: about that all the time, too. <laughs> oh
1: God. So the last two questions I had was, um, what do you hope people gain from the,
3: the part of your story that you shared? Um,
2: I guess to be like, be fearless. Just um, provide inspiration in telling their story. Because I feel like I want people to hear my story parts of their own like when I heard I didn't hear all of it, but some of James I was like I started to cry because I was like oh my god like I followed that same like lifeline yeah like, I can relate and the only difference was like luck almost to an extent like life just threw a different curveball and he experienced and has something else to offer the world but like I didn't get that and I have to make do with something else
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, so I just want people to like I want people to speak up I want people to like I to hit them be like I have a voice I deserve to be heard in, in having my story heard like I can help other people like I just want people to be validated and like seen because they're not I, and, and so
1: going into my last question if no one were to listen to this interview at all except for the last couple minutes or the last half hour what do you want to make sure that they take from this like what, what do you want to make sure that, that um, sticks with them and that they carry with them if they hear nothing else
2: um, I wrote something down. I just want to look at it. Um, yeah, yeah for sure. Like, using, like, I want people to use their pain, like, embrace their pain. Um, I want people to stop, like, running from it because pain is beautiful in the sense that it can inspire others mm-hmm. to heal as well. Um, and I said this earlier. Like, I want the actually the biggest thing being like anyone that's doing like suicide for them not to feel selfish. Um, I think that you need to be right by you. And I guess the other takeaway would be. I've like learned this. This is the one thing that saved my life. So if I can share this with anyone it would be that. I had a I had a therapist tell me who was like, Don't or if you step on the scale today and you're not happy with it, how about today you just don't starve yourself? Like but tomorrow, if you wanna starve yourself, go ahead. Tomorrow is always an option. But today, how about we eat? Like you can have control over tomorrow. And I like applied that to the suicide stuff. And I say this to people, like it sounds crazy and like people like get mad at me for I'm not promoting suicide but I'll tell people I was like today what's the time not to do today I was like the pills are gonna be there tomorrow everything's gonna be there tomorrow to end your life like that's always an option like the get out option is always there but how about today and the idea is that you keep saying that each day and then you build up time and resistance and strength and be are like fuck like yeah. it's been 20 days since I fucking thought about trying to kill myself or that I like resisted and then you're like damn I'm a fucking warrior yeah so it's just, that's the best thing I can say is like just not today.
3: Just not today. Not today. I love that. Just not today. Yeah. That gate
1: like I yeah. I, I can I, I just totally I, I get it. And and you know, like you're saying, some some people might be like, Oh what but the idea is because when you're in that mindset, even getting through the day is hard enough. Dude, I know for a fact. This story is going to resonate with at least one person, at least one person, and it's going to change lives and start opening up people's eyes and opening up people's perspectives on, on the beauty and the fact that we're all so different. And, um, oh, it's okay. (laughs) We're going on a trip. (laughs) Um, but keep me updated on YouTube, on your channel and and uh, the things that yeah. you've got. Well, thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and just, like, be vulnerable and put yourself out there and share a part of you that I know will change people's lives. And whether people agree or disagree, like, the point is we each have our story and we're entitled to share our story and our perspectives, and it's okay, even if...
2: You know, so, yeah, Go ahead. when you learn something really cool, I can't find it. And when we get off, I'm going to actually try with YouTube it again because I've been trying to find it. I don't know if you know, like, it was a TED talk. They had created these trailers where people, like, loved ones would sit down and they would be recorded for, like, let's say 10 to 15 minutes of, like, a the conversation they had. It could be about anything. So, like, this autistic boy sat down with his mom and he like, I feel like, just tell about anything. He was like, I feel like I'm in disappointment. He, like, literally said to his mom, and I feel like he was there more than me. And it's like, the idea was what, in the sense what you're doing, is you're creating these little, like, like um, historical documents, like, you're documenting our lives right now, so that, like, 20 years from now, like, this will be somewhere where I can go back and be like, we had this, like, I had this conversation.
1: That's so true. I didn't think about that. That's so true, though.
2: <laughs> We're helping um, record history right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you, Nicole. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for taking a listen to this interview with Nicole. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Swanson Beats Productions for making this beat for this interview. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. For those who want to participate, to share their story, send me a DM, send me an email. Healing Broken Hearts Project at gmail.com or the same name for Instagram and Facebook. I really want to hear your guys' stories, comments, feedback, and just thanks so much for taking a listen. I love you guys. Mwah.